0: Hello and welcome to the Sexiness Girl podcast, the podcast that brings you tips, tricks, hacks and solutions for game changing real life dog training results and sometimes human training ones too. In today's episode, our very own amazing pro dog trainer, Sam, is joined by specialist search and elite operational dog trainer, coach and teacher extraordinaire, Dave, who is bringing us his wealth of knowledge gained through an extensive career in all things specialist dog training, operational dogs, teaching and so much more. With experience training dogs from pet dogs and puppies to working dogs for the operational force and teaching handlers and their dogs in the art of security, detection, tracking, scent work, bite work and so much more. What Dave has to share today is incredibly insightful and packed with educational value for pet dog trainers, professional dog trainers and anyone in between. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to the wonderful Sam and the super Dave. Let's dive in.
1: Hello Game Changers. We are here today with Dave, really, really cool guy, really cool trainer who knows, I would say, an awful lot about scent work and dog training in general. He's done a lot of teaching of scent and we're going to have a bit of a chat with him today about how he got started and his world of scent and any really questions that come up in my brain. So uh, hello Dave and welcome. Thanks,
2: Sam. It's a really nice welcome, actually. Um, I hope you haven't picked me up too much, but we'll we'll see <laughs> as we uh, as we chat over a few things to do with Scent.
1: Absolutely. I, I think so, I think something I'd really love to know is just actually let's start, let's go right to the beginning. How did you get started just in dog training? Um, and then we'll go on to how did you get started in Scent as well? Where did yeah. it all, all begin? What's your story? The,
2: the journey started really. So when I was uh I was really, really small, um we used to go away as as a family to the south. France camping uh, my mom and dad are nice. both teachers um hence my um joy of teaching um so yeah we used to go away and uh at the campsite there was a, a a pen full of beagles um and I hounded if you excuse the pun my mom and dad uh time and time again every year we went to try and get a, a dog um and eventually they gave in and we had our first beagle um and those of you who know beagles know how challenging they can be as as dogs (laughs) so um we jumped in at the deep end with a with a beagle um and it kind of progressed from there really we ended up with three beagles um alongside a Staffordshire Bull Terrier so um we went from my mom and dad absolutely adamant they weren't going to have a dog to having three beagles and a rescued uh, Staffordshire Bull Terrier so it uh things went from one extreme to the other um and then the journey just just carried on I just became more and more interested in in dogs and dog training as as we all do um and then when I moved out and bought my first house uh I bought myself a beagle um Mm -hmm. so uh, and that's when I really started yeah absolutely that's when I really started um kind of learning about dog training really because I was um on my own with the dog um with a beagle who was challenging as beagles are um and I just started learning about dog training I went to lots of um dog training classes dog training seminars mm-hmm. um and caught the bug really um yeah. and from there I just progressed kind of over the years really to um kind of the pinnacle of dog training being the head of um the second largest uh dog unit in the country and uh mm-hmm been in charge of all the training for for police dogs so yeah it's a real um journey through really
1: yeah that's a really cool journey as well I've got um have you got have you got a beagle now I'm curious
2: no I've got a cocker spaniel <laughs> now so um yeah I've got a cocker spaniel you turned. As a you turned. protection dog so yeah I uh I, I went from uh from a beagle to a cocker spaniel so uh yeah, but another challenge in itself with a with a yeah. different type of dog. So yeah, yeah but different. I've had um, I've had lots of dogs. I've I've trained lots of dogs: Malinois, German Shepherds, Labradors, Springer Spaniels. Mm-hmm. Um, the the full works really, and and I think every dog brings a different dynamic and a different challenge, which is what I I love doing. So yeah.
1: Do you find that that really helps you learn to adjust? Sort of, you know, going into the world of mechanics and how you treat each dog differently. For the, you know, we talk a lot about the dog in front of us, um, <clears throat> and how you have to really adjust to actually, you know, that dog's temperament, what they're doing in that situation, and and adjust your training style. Do you think you learn a lot through that? Oh you know, yeah, better that, that the more so- days that you train.
2: Yeah, and I I started my journey really in the the police dog uh, training back in 2005, um, where mm-hmm. I actually started volunteering um, as a puppy fosterer and uh, did 14 years uh, of that. Um, and having puppies every year of different breeds, um, you know, that's where you really learn. You you trade um, mm-hmm. in terms of I think puppies teach you so much because each one is so different um and then obviously through my work with the police I've I've been involved in training older dogs um you know not just from puppies so um I, I think the more dogs you can get hands-on with the the more you your toolbox around training expands and um I've been really fortunate to to work with some you know a, a huge number of dogs um since 2005 really and that's where I've really built my um my training and uh and enjoying it every day since
1: So where did, at what point did the scent side come in for you sort of, was it when you originally had your growing, your dogs growing up, or did at some point you sort of find yourself on like a scent workshop or something like that? Where did that particular bug start? Yeah. Was it when you started fostering?
2: um, The the, the beagles probably give me my uh, biggest introduction to uh, scent and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and dogs that really like to, uh, to sniff. So there was lots of times where you trying to channel their, energy and genetics um into something that gives them enrichment and and something they want to be interested in so yeah you know jumping on a number of seminars um sent workshops um and just learning literally from a hobbyist perspective really to start with and and then obviously moving up into my role um you know within policing you start to get into the professional side and that's our, our the explosive detection dog side is is you know the bit that really um hooked me in really so yeah. Uh, yeah professionally that was the the kind of um the most interesting part of uh, of the work we do with uh, with detection dogs
1: when you started fostering so at what point did you feel like you wanted to um, take it on as a profession did you did you go into fostering with that in mind you know did you did you have like a goal in mind or we did this is this something that just kind of developed through your passion
2: yeah it did 100% developed through through the passion um so i would never really gone into um into it expecting to be a police dog trainer and certainly not head of you know the second biggest dog unit in the country yeah. so um yeah it was one of those things that kind of grew um over the the time really and certainly during my time fostering I just got more and more involved more and more interested um and started to learn more and more and I think it's it's one of those things isn't it the more you learn the more you want to do um you know and I was really fortunate to get exposure to some really fantastic trainers and workshops Mm um and it just draws you in doesn't it the the seeing a dog search and and enjoying themselves searching uh, and tracking in in the same way is is a bug really so yeah i I didn't really set out um purposefully to to go on the journey i did but um you know I've been really fortunate with the the stuff I've done um to to be involved in and certainly the detection dog side is um it hooks you as soon as as soon as yeah. you're involved with with scent work and that sort of thing it just hooks you in and um it it's a bit of a bit of a bug isn't it
1: it is yeah I agree I mean I'm very you know admittedly a little uh, an amateur really very early on in my journey in centre I just love it I think it's it's just incredible Um, I'm very excited about this interview by the way uh geeking out a little bit getting to really pick your brain which is a really cool position to be in um so so what were you doing before just out of curiosity so before you 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 know started training the sense side of thing were you were you already sort of teaching any dog training at all or you know were you doing something completely removed from that
2: uh well I, I actually ran uh business consultancies um, okay, cool. um but I did I got involved with a local um dog training club which was really mm-hmm. really good um you know we ran classes twice a week um weekend seminars um and it really really taught me a lot I think when you're working with you know, people who bring dogs to you and you only see them now and again. Um and just seeing owners and dogs enjoying activities together is 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 just such a really good um experience. So yeah, I started in, in kind of pet dog training and uh helping at a local dog club and then I've got involved in uh some security dog training with um some companies. Um and then just progressed from there really. But yeah the 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 training at dog clubs was really Um, you know the first step for me and I I was just helping out you know I just went and offered my time helping just again another learning opportunity for for me really and I think that's been the key for for me the more you can go and watch other people the more you can learn from other people Mm -hmm. the, the better you become and the more enjoyment you get from it.
1: And how did you find that? Um <clears throat> how did you find the transition from you, you know, you really loved scent work and you were um you know learning a lot about it and and learning to teach like your own dogs and any dogs that you were training or handling. How did that transition into teaching kind of how did that feel? How did that work? Did you come across any sort of um any difficulties or which parts of it did you enjoy? i uh,
2: yeah, I think it I, I think the teaching side is a really interesting side and it, it's something you know I'm really passionate about I mean coming from a a family where my mom and dad are both teachers um yeah. kind of helps uh in some mm-hmm. way um but yeah I, the teaching side is something really um I, I'm really passionate about so I put myself on a on a teaching course um ju- just off my own back um yeah, to learn cool. more about the the teaching side um and then obviously through my my profession I've been really lucky I've been able to get on other courses you know just about to finish a level 5 teaching Mm -hmm. qualification I've got an assessor's qualification a quality assurance qualification and I think that teaching element is the bit that really got me the book is how how can you use your skills and knowledge to help other people um and the teaching side is something that is you know really empowering not just for you as an individual but for the people you're you're helping. So I will place a great emphasis on, you know, that learning about mm-hmm. teaching, it was a really important phase for me and hopefully it's still me in good stead through my career.
1: Because I think a lot of people think that when when you're teaching dog training to another person, you, you know, you might know the dog part, but you maybe don't know how to translate that. It's all about communication, right? So yeah. through my own teaching, um trying to communicate what you want them to do with the dog is very different because you know there's that kind of like middleman basically um so when when sort of the handlers and stuff that you were teaching did they have dog training experience before or was that completely fresh or when you were um helping out at your sort of local center as well you know how did you find did you find it different teaching someone with experience than somebody without how did that how did that go how did you find it (laughs)
2: Yeah, it's, it's it's very similar in a lot of ways. And I think mm-hmm. it goes back to lot like you've touched upon, you know, the, the dog training is the simple bit. Um, mm-hmm. When you've got handlers and owners and, and other people doing things that you're trying to get across, um, you know, that's when your teaching skills really come into their own really. And that's, you know, I think I, I look at a lot of things um, from afar and um, I think it's really important that those people that are, that are teaching um, – I I've got teaching experience and qualifications because there's there's a huge emphasis um you know on learning styles and how people uh, interpret what you're saying to them and that's the biggest challenge um I think sometimes in the professional world it, it's probably a bit more challenging because everyone's got very strong opinions a lot mm-hmm. of experience um and sometimes when you're trying to get messages across you have to be really really sure that you know your teaching style is is being absorbed by whichever learners you've got in front of you. So yeah, re- really interesting in you know the the work I did at our local dog training club. um You know the the challenges are, are are similar in in the working environment. You've you've got to be really clear and concise and and make sure you're delivering instruction in the way that the person in front of you can understand it. In, in the same way you do it with dog training, you you deal yeah. with a dog in front of you and. Mm-hmm the handler or the owner is exactly the same they're all individuals and they all have their own individual um style of of learning so I think you know the teaching stuff for me is the bit that um you know I place real value on
1: yeah yeah because essentially it's you know if you don't get it away uh, across in the right way then it's going to come out in in a very different style to what you were intending to the dog isn't it so you know um i definitely can i can relate to that for sure and it's definitely a a learning curve i think even if even with the qualifications and stuff that you learn then putting it in practice is a whole other thing as well isn't it um so what what sort of advice would you give to anybody that was maybe wanting to get started in teaching what would you what would you give them there
2: Go and do a about? teaching course. Um, you know, no. the first thing I did was, was, and, and they're not expensive either, mm-hmm. you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, to get onto a, you know, a real basic teaching course, um, for, for me would be the first step because I think if you're going into teaching, um, you know, having that understanding of teaching is, is, is going to underpin everything you do because dog training is dog training, isn't it? There's a million ways you can train a dog, yeah. um, in a million different things. But unless you're able to portray that properly across to the people you're dealing with it's uh it's really challenging um yeah and it, and it makes the people you're dealing with um you, you know more engaging more um it's more beneficial for them because hopefully yeah. as a teacher you'll be able to recognize when they're struggling to comprehend what it is yes. you're trying to say and and that's the skill isn't it is is understanding at the point you're trying to say something um you know, th- does this person actually done what I'm trying say? And you get that blank look on your
1: face.
2: <laughs> but maybe we're gonna have to try a different way here.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, have we, what would you say? Um, just to flip that, then, what would you say makes a good student?
2: Good student. I think it's a really, really good one. I, I've got to admit, those people who've trained with me will tell you I'm a terrible student. Um, <laughs> uh, if you ever speak to any of the instructors that have uh, instructed me, they'll, uh, they'll they'll, tell you a good student is, uh, is the opposite of what I am as a student. <laughs> um, Are you naughty? Is that why? I can be a little bit naughty. I, <laughs> I, it, it's interesting. and I think this is really important. So um, I think sometimes, so for my style of learning, I need to understand why. Um, and a lot of people take the mic out of me because I'm always going well why have we got to do that and why are we doing this um but I always say to people that you know if I'm teaching them and they ask me why we are doing it as a good teacher you should be able to tell people right we're doing it for this reason this reason and this is what we're going to do after it um and and so as a student I say what makes a good student is 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 actually asking those questions I think there's sometimes Nothing worse than having a, a, you know, a student in front of you clearly doesn't know what you try to say to them, but just blindly <laughs> goes with it anyway, because they're yes. either being polite or or they're either being, um, you know, a little bit afraid to to ask those questions. And I think certainly historically in, in dog training, um, you know, someone once said to me, never question the master. Um, mm-hmm. And and that was just a red rag to a ball for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> But but I think it's really important. I think being a good student also means that you take some responsibility in actually asking those questions and, yeah. and making sure you understand what's what's going on. So whilst I I think the instructors would tell you I'm a I'm a difficult student, I, I'd like to think I do it for the right reasons.
1: Am I right in thinking that you would often have people with like absolutely no um dog training experience that you would then have to teach? Quite a high level of um, dog handling skills, too. Right? Am I right in saying that?
2: Yeah, the, the police dog world's um, a, a really interesting, uh, a really interesting world for for many reasons. But yeah, so we, you know, the selection process for for dog handlers, um, you know, certainly in in the police force I work for was um, we look for good police officers, force mm-hmm, them, almost yeah. foremost. Um, you know, we wanted the people that were really good at protecting the public. Um, and as part of that we would select those people because we knew they were good police officers and they were good at protecting the public and then we'd coach them and develop them into being a dog handler so they could be an even better police officer and offer a greater um you know level of service to to the public so you know very often we 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 take on handlers who you know sometimes never owned a dog before mm-hmm. um never trained a dog before um and we'd give them a, a dog that literally doesn't know what it's doing it's a 14 month old adolescent dog that's had no to little training and in 13 weeks we'd expect the um police officer and the dog to then be an operational team and and accredited to work out on the on the street so yeah it's um it it brings its own challenges when you're trying Mm -hmm. to teach somebody who doesn't know what they're doing with a dog that doesn't know what it's doing and (laughs) um and 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 that's where I say the teaching side comes in you know that's when it gets really really important you've got five students on a course um all with different levels of knowledge or with different levels of experience or with a different dog um Mm -hmm. so to then try and you know You've got three months to to turn them into a, an operational police dog team. It's a it's a real challenge, and you know the the work of police dog instructors. I think is sometimes a little bit undervalued when you you realise you're dealing when with you people that. who've never owned a dog before, and you know three months later they could potentially go out saving someone's life with with that dog
1: yeah it's a very short very very short it's more shorter than I thought it was actually yeah. very very short space of time so did you find that um were there any sort of typical dr- dog training myths that you had to sort of dispel mm-hmm. did you find often by any chance anything mm-hmm. like that
2: oh I could give you hundreds um <laughs> wow the, 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 give me one give me one the, the, the police dog is a very I think dog training generally is a, is a really interesting thing isn't it because I think it depends on you know who you've been mentored by um you know what what people have told you um so we we always started so when we started these courses um part of our opening um kind of um introduction was we we played a game of fact or fiction so um, okay. we'd flash things up on the screen and ask people whether it was was fact or fiction yeah,
1: um that's, that's a nice way of doing it actually uh, yeah
2: than so. and it, it it just dispels some of these dog training myths you know yeah, the pack, sure. pack theory alpha dog theory all these things that you know were really prevalent in you know the working dog environment oh. are probably some of the the main um catalysts for some of those dog training um myths really so yeah, i think yeah. a lot of it dates back to that you know certainly in the police and the military it's it's very much a craft uh, as opposed to a science. Um, you know, a lot of things get passed down, a lot of things get relayed, and sometimes that's really difficult to to break down. But, you know, I, I think generally across the piece, people are more open-minded, people are more um knowledgeable around the science. That sits behind dog training and and you know the way we we do things.
1: That's cool. That's really cool. Do you have um any favorite memories of sort of students at all you oh, know do you, can you think of like a student <laughs> that you were like i really liked i really liked this one and it could be literally any reason i uh, just,
2: could be I, just- I wouldn't like to name names because they'll all be hanging me later of course i think the best students are uh are some of the open, most open-minded students and i think certainly in you know, the world, you know, where I've worked and, and operated, sometimes that is is difficult. But, you know, there's lots of examples where we've had, um, you know, handlers that will be retiring. So they've done, you know, 30 years in the police yeah. and they'd still be coming to training and they'd still be wanting to learn. We put seminars on where we brought external speakers in. They'd always be the first person to ask if they could come. Um, and that's the type of people you want to be around um so yeah I think generally it goes back to the comment I made about being a good student is those that want to learn those that are open-minded um and those that do question the master I always find that is you know the way to go is is I mean I think you're
1: biased but you know (laughs) so what about um so thinking about thinking about the dogs then so we'll come away from the students and think about the dogs for a moment so Let's say you had like an, I mean, I guess this is kind of how it works anyway, but you've got a completely blank slate of a dog. What are you looking for? What makes, um, you know, what kind of selection is it in terms of thinking about a puppy that is going to come on as, as a dog that's going to be a scent dog or, you know, a, a general purpose dog?
2: yeah i think regardless of the role that the dog does whether it's a a scent work dog detection dog um Mm -hmm. or or one of our patrol general purpose dogs i think the characteristics you're looking for in those dogs are are always the same and and for me it's always about motivation Mm -hmm. um you know number number one thing that that the the, the moment you let that dog out of its crate or its kennel or the back of the car it's wanting to work itself you shouldn't have to gee the dog up or motivate the dog the dog should just have natural motivation and and desire and for me that's the one thing I always look for um, in the dogs um, and then secondary I think you, you know the, the the kind of things we're looking for are dogs that are confident as well um, and you generally find the kind of go hand in hand um, you know dogs that are just confident in themselves they're not shy dogs but they're not overly you know boisterous they're just confident sure. assured dogs um
1: what does that look like to you go a little bit more in depth for me on that one I, I so think, what's, what, what makes a confident dog what sort of things do you mean yeah by
2: that? i i think it's it's fundamental and, and i also think to some extent this is fundamental for for a good pet dog uh, as yeah. well i think for me that the dog's stability of mind is, mm-hmm. is is key so you know is the dog happy to go out In the pitch black is the dog happy to walk on something that's a little bit uneven is the dog happy around loud noises you know and this this like i say this evolves into the pet dog world as well you know if you're in the kitchen and you drop a pan you know is the dog completely shell-shocked and goes within itself and Mm -hmm. takes a long time to recover or does the dog look at it and recover quite quickly and say oh yeah it's just a just a saucepan falling on the floor um, and for me that that's a real fundamental part, so you know, can you walk it to the train station and and not be phased by people again, we don't want the dog being overly friendly towards people, but we don't want the dog you know crawling spooked. on his belly and spooked and and that sort of thing. You know if a train comes past at a distance, you know is it pulling back on the end of the lead, or is it just completely ambivalent to to what's going on and i think I think the key for me is a dog that's ambivalent to to the world it is is key for, for both the working environment and a and a pet dog environment as well. And and that's something, you know, I'd I'd always promote um, to anyone who's got any kind of dog is is to make your dog ambivalent towards as many things as, as you possibly can
1: and what would you um what would be so so i watched um the i can't remember what it's called like the here come the fuzz badge i think it was but you um you came and and trained at our center and um or taught at our center um and they made a badge out of it so they filmed you doing it and i've i've watched that badge so many times um and i loved some of the stuff where you sort of split it down into like growing the desire and the motivation for it before we even thought about necessarily growing the indication but actually yeah. you can split them and do them independently away from each other and then bring them together and I I loved that it completely changed how I looked at it um so your top tip and sort of I'm going to say game because I think that you you kind of you play games just like we do Um, um so what would be your top sort of game your top tip for growing motivation in a dog and confidence let's go with motivation first and then confidence
2: yeah I think I think motivation is is a lot of it it goes back to the point you made right at the start is it depends on the dog that's in front of you. So for me, um, I I love playing ragging games, tugging games, um, you know, tug of war for me is, is a really, really important game to, to play, you know, with dogs. I think it, it builds so many um aspects of the dog um and also the relationship with you as a as a handler or an owner um Mm -hmm. if it's played in the right way um i think it really teaches the dog a, a lot of things um and so those are always that that would always be the first game i play with with any dog um and similarly if i was looking at a dog to train or looking at a dog to to procure or looking at a dog to assess to put on a on a training course that would probably be the first game i play with the dog is i'm okay. motivated is the dog to play tug of war. Um and then that just builds everything else from from there really, um, in terms of then developing that into a game of fetch, um, and then building it through into the the search work. But um I think the most fundamental part is um, you know, as you'd have picked up from the 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 badges that compartmentalizing everything. So I am very hot on you know everything's got a place um mm-hmm. and once those separate components have been built that's when we join it all together and and turn it into the kind of finished um article and and like i say that goes with pet dogs and working dogs in in exactly the same same way
1: because there are i mean there are lots of different sort of styles aren't there of scent like there there's different ways to teach it there are different types so you've got like man trailing um i'll let you i'll let you name them off I think you probably know no, better you be it better than me <laughs> no, I'm just the interviewee. <laughs> um, name us some of them. Let, let us know what there are. What, what different types can we be thinking of here?
2: Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of this is around marketing as well. I think um, I, I think there's so many different words and yeah. um, you know descriptions of things: mantrailing, tracking, mm-hmm. um, you know, search and rescue. Detection, you, you know there's all these different names but I think fundamentally it all sits under the, the the same thing really is a dog um using its nose as it was designed to do mm-hmm. uh, in in the search for a reinforcer from a handler or a um an environment and I think I, I think things get um labeled in in certain yeah. ways quite easily um which is good you know there's lots of there's there's a place for, for for that sort of stuff and again I think it does help to sometimes when you've got you know students and you've got owners actually having some of these words for different things helps them visualize things in a different way and I think yeah. sometimes that's really important it goes back to that you know do do people really understand what we're saying to them and when you talk about you know is trailing the same as tracking or you know, there's a whole debate to be had on 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 that, isn't it? But I think what's important is when you use these terms, is actually the people in front of you know what you mean when yeah. you say, "Oh, this is tracking," or "this is trailing," or "this is detection," or whatever that might be.
1: So is it essentially just different ways of using the nose. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. that's kind of the differentiation between them.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I think you know, like I say, ultimately dogs are just looking for a reinforcer, aren't they? Yeah. So, you know, they're programmed to to have a nose, which is you know the, the best asset they've got um and then we just hone that that skill into whatever discipline or game we we want to play with them in order for them to to hit their reinforcer whether it be tracking whether it be searching whether it just be sniffing for food whether it's enrichment um you know fundamentally it all boils down to the dog using its nose to to get a, a reinforcer and and I am very simplistic about the way I try to do things I think the the more simple Simple, you can make it, and the more um, clear you can make it for the dog and the person, I think you get a much better result than when you start trying to make things a bit too intricate.
1: Overcomplicate,
2: yeah.
1: I think that reinforcement is something I certainly see with students as sometimes a little bit of misunderstanding on what reinforcement can be, and often just a simple piece of food to the mouth is is not enough of a reinforcer for the dog. So, talk us a little bit about um, what sort of things would be reinforcers. What sort of things would you, you know, be looking for? Would you grow it or is it something that you'd look for naturally in a dog? Talk a little bit. Yeah, about I, think, I,
2: I think it goes back to that point around motivation. Um, you know, the first thing I'd look for in what actually motivates the the dog. Um, yeah. and, and this is where, you know, you've really got to separate working dogs from, from pet dogs. So if we're talking about the working dog environment, we want a dog to be really naturally motivated so if we're looking for for search or detection for example just the fact that we're allowing the dog to search should be reinforcing in some ways so you know using pre-mac is is a fantastic yeah. tool and that's what we generally look for in our dogs certainly from a tracking uh perspective um but then for, things like, for, you
1: know, for our listeners dave just um just explain what pre-mac is very quickly for me just for those yeah, that might so- not
2: so from a from a a dog's perspective they want to have access to something they enjoy doing Mm -hmm. um so actually letting the dog do what it enjoys doing it is reinforcing and that's essentially in the the simplest forms pre-max so we're effectively saying to the dog if you perform a behavior we'll let you then go and do whatever it is you enjoy doing whether it's you know it might be chasing after rabbits it might be just sniffing on the floor um so using the environment and the dog the things that the dog naturally likes to do is yeah. is, is pre-mac in its simplest form um but then in terms of reinforcers you know we would be looking at using toys we'd be looking at using at tuggers we'd be looking food um and then we'd look at the value of those reinforcers so certainly with food um you know what value does the dog place on different foods so it might be mm-hmm. that using a can of tripe is really really reinforcing compared to the dog's kibble that it gets every day so I think it a lot of it is around understanding what motivates your dog um and as long as you understand what motivates your dog then that's what you use as that reinforcer and I think um one of the most important things um and best pieces of advice I can give around reinforcers I I think sometimes um um dog uh stores and dog pet shops who have this vast array of toys and squeaky sausages and all these different things and and people go into the shop and think oh yeah it squeaks the loudest so my dog is definitely going to find that enjoyable and therefore we can reward the dog with playing with this squeaky sausage but the dog might not actually like the squeaky sausage so I think it's always you know one of the lessons we teach a, a lot is the, the only way you really know whether it's a reinforcer is if the behavior is getting stronger with your dog yeah. Um, be, because I, I and I use my dog as a as a prime example so she is obsessed um, with uh, one of the tiniest Kongs you can get It's if I had one I'd check but it's like the literally <laughs> tiniest one you can get um, mm-hmm. she will do anything for that tiny Kong um, however if you then give her the red Kong which is the slightly bigger one and you throw that to her because she likes Kongs actually she won't pick that kong up and she won't um she won't engage with that kong so you have to be really careful like we might say oh yeah the dog loves kongs yeah. but actually for my dog she only loves that particular size of of kong um and and you know in training if if she went out and indicated on something and she gave me a really nice behavior but i threw in the red kong technically i wouldn't be reinforcing that behavior because she hates it
1: um you could almost actually be going back on yourself, couldn't you? you could be making it worse,
2: right? Yeah, 100 percent Um, so it's really important. So whilst we say we can use Kongs, we can use balls, we can use food, we can use squeaky toys, we can use fuss. Um, you know, if you've got a dog that's quite a um self-sufficient dog who's not very fussy as a dog, and there were plenty of dogs out there like that, actually giving them a fuss again could be counterproductive because no. they just don't like being fussed um yeah. so yeah. i think it's really important you've got to understand the dog you know that's in front of you and and who better to do that than the owner or the the handler of the the dog um yeah. and that's the key bit i as a as a trainer as an instructor i'd always ask the owner or, or the handler well, what 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 does your dog like um mm-hmm. give me the five things your dog likes the most and that's what we'll go with and that's what we'll use to to train the dog um so yeah there's lo- lots of things um and each dog is different
1: yeah I think that's that's I think that's probably um definitely a learning um moment just in in a, the dog training world that I encountered was actually just thinking outside the box a bit and yeah. looking at what your dog wants not what you yeah. think your dog wants so yeah, yeah. that's really cool it's, it's good to hear um so have you got have you got like a favorite dog training memory? Have you got like a, I don't know, a story or something that that sticks in your head that you remember Uh, anything, anything like that?
2: Well, probably the funniest story is um, Mm -hmm. when I was training my dog to be an explosive uh, search dog. So, um, you know, there's this, this great thing in policing that um, explosive search dog handlers get all the nice, hotels they have to search ahead of like royalty visiting and uh-huh. um you know the prime minister visiting so it's always in these nice environments and it's 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 always in these beautiful hotels and you know grounds that are just really well kept well day one of my um explosive detection dog course I was outside in the snow in the hail <laughs> wrapped from head to toe in about 50,000 layers thinking (laughs) I have been completely lied to here (laughs) Um, and and to be fair it's 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 probably one of the most um things that stick in my head just thinking like this is the the hard work you have to go through in order to get your dog out at the other end is is what makes it enjoyable um but yeah I always remember that but just being absolutely freezing cold wrapped up and
1: Totally lied to. I was totally in a hotel.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> have you had any have you had any really Gucci moments?
2: Oh yeah. I mean I've yeah. I've had some um some wonderful experiences in in my career. Um I, I've been really lucky to be um involved in some fantastic things. You know, we we uh, worked on the G7, so all the world leaders in in Cornwall, um, you know, searching some of the places, you know, Boris Johnson and people like that were going into. Um top twenty-six, uh, the Tory party conference, uh, the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham. Um, I suppose the 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 probably the most poignant and probably pinnacle of of everything I've done was um searching ahead of the Queen's funeral. Um so having to search um Westminster Abbey ahead of the funeral uh and then Windsor Castle um, obviously ahead of the, the queen, um, being laid to rest, um, there was, was probably the pinnacle of, of everything I've done detection dog wise, really. And, um, you know, I'm really proud that I was part of that operation, um, and got some, you know, really great memories off the back of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I, I've seen some of the stuff that you've, you know, there's some of the events that you've covered, and I think that 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 one would have been a real proud moment in my career if, I've ever, if I'd ever kind of been a part of that at all. Um, and that's that is really really cool. I mean, and and a real historical moment as well. So you know, uh, something to be proud of, to be a part of, but actually just generally as a nation, just like really oh, yeah. really cool moment, you know, to be a yeah. part of and something to be really proud of. Um, so in terms of in terms of these like sort of like high high profile events really I mean like really probably there's not really much more high profile than you can get than some of those let's be fair I mean you've got like some of the um, biggest world leaders in the country and I imagine sometimes the world um, that are coming in you know yeah I mean that's that's insane amount of sort of pressure and responsibility not only on you but actually that you're placing in trust in your dog so how talk me a little bit through that like are you ever nervous you know like how what does that look like how does it how hard is it to really 100 percent put your trust into a dog to say you know please find something that there is something to find you always hope that there's not something to find but if you know at the same time you're sort of like if there is something to find please find it
2: yeah, I think it goes down to you, you, you training. Um, and again, you know, the stuff I spoke about when you selecting dogs and training dogs, um, you need to have the right dogs. Um, and certainly in the, the working dog, uh, world, making sure you've, you've got the right dogs to start with is, is the bit that underpins everything. Um, because like you say, you, you want to walk away from your job, you know, as confident as you can be that, that, yeah. you know that you've done what you've been trying to do so yeah it is it's a lot of pressure um yeah it's um a big responsibility that that gets placed on you and the dog um but i go back to you know having good trainers having good instructors um and, and being a good student um i, I think is really important because you've, you go back to the point if you're not sure of something you need to make sure you are absolutely sure of it. And um, I, I think it's a mix of, of everything really, but, but what underpins it is having, having a, a good dog in the first place. And I'm really lucky that I'm slightly biased, but I've got a brilliant <laughs> dog and she's, she's been yeah. fantastic. Um. So yeah.
0: That's
1: really cool. That is really cool. I can't, um I can't imagine sort of like the, It's such a lovely relationship to be able to have to really 100% sort of go into that being like, no, you know, we've got this, we have totally got this. Um, And I like like to that point of being a good student as well. I think that um, something that you said about constantly wanting to learn, I think is huge, because I don't think you're ever really done with learning if things evolve don't they and they change so you know I think it's really important to keep and I imagine in the scent world and actually I definitely know in the dog training world it's always ever evolving we're learning lots of new stuff all the time so it's important to keep up to date and understand different, have an open mind so yeah I really liked that and that's um, definitely something to put out there to a lot of people that struggle with that maybe a little bit yeah I
2: I think it's a really good point you know I'm I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to learning Um, yeah you know I I read learning's fun Scientific papers. I mm-hmm. read books. I, you know, I've done a master's degree. I, I, I absolutely love learning, and I think it is a really, really important thing. Certainly, um, like you saying that in the dog industry, things change mm-hmm. and evolve so much. And you know, like you say, if if you ever think you've learned everything about dogs, you you need to stop because you know <laughs> they're. they're you're never ever going to get to the point where you know everything about dogs and are able to do everything with dogs um you know and that that learning piece is is really 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 important um so yeah the more the more you can absorb the more you can learn and the more you can go out and and put yourself out to find things is is going to stand you in good stead both as a as an owner and as trainer and a student Mm -hmm. and and also in the working dog uh, capacity as well i think you know the the more you can learn and read and watch the 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 better the better you'll be with your dog and and that touches upon the point you made about the relationship i think you know you can't underestimate the the more information you have and the more you know the better your relationship with your dog is going to be and and ultimately that's all we're striving for right is you know we've got a dog and we want to be able to do fun things with the dogs um mm-hmm. you know some of the fun things I do with the dogs have been also really Gucci. But, um, you know, first and foremost, it's it's fun, isn't it? Every time I walk, uh, you know, we play games. Every time, you know, we're doing stuff outside, we're, we're playing games. And, and that would be the same whether I've got a, a working dog or, you, you know, a pet dog. It's exactly what I did with my beagle. We'd be playing hide and seek. We'd be playing, you know, lots of different games that just builds that relationship. And I think really that is what having a dog's all about, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely, a hundred percent agree with that. It's really cool. Um, so in terms of sort, you know, we know that you do a lot of sense stuff, and that that you're very passionate about it. You know, just minutely. Um, what about other sort of? Are there any other dog training um, disciplines, I guess, or styles or things that you enjoy? Is there anything else that you kind of like dip your toe in?
2: Well, my mum's massively into uh, into agility, so she oh, cool. uh, she she is obsessed um yeah. so yeah so I've I've never really um had much to do with it but obviously since my mom's uh been doing often and get the phone call oh the, the dog's doing this now or oh, I've got this <laughs> and how do I train this so um yeah I've started to get a little bit more involved in in that sort of um that sort of bits and bobs um but there, there's a whole host of stuff you know I'd certainly with my police dog work you know i, I there's so many different things. The obedience side, um, you know, I really, really enjoy. I think watching a dog with real high level obedience, you know, heel work and, you know, the stuff people do with their dogs, um, it, it is really good. I think there's so much out there. It's I, I think we only scratch the surface. So um, yeah, the agility stuff is is interesting. And like I say, the obedience is is something that's always um interested me because i think it underpins everything with with the dog um you know you place a great emphasis on a, a pet dog with good obedience is is gonna be a good dog for you isn't it you know if it's not dragging you down the road or running off after other dogs in the park it all revolves around having good obedience so i i am a bit of a of a sucker for uh for obedience um but yeah thanks to my mom she's uh keeping me on my toes with some agility stuff as well now. <laughs>
1: Are you? Uh, do I see any Hewitt music in the in your future? Does I don't that know.
2: take you fancy? I would never say no. Like I say, it's all learning, <laughs> isn't it? Sam? it's all learning. So it is learning, if, it learning. if there's a seminar around dancing for dogs, I would happily um, attend. <laughs> i
1: think mean, that's really cool i think uh maybe you could be one of the ones that do like the um uh, some sort of um like sort of police routine you know uh right. or like a cpr thing oh, and it's some really cool ones isn't there? It? it's a really cool ones you could get really uh inventive about it i think um agility is really cool i think i you know i definitely have caught that bug a little bit as well um do you find that there's quite a lot of crossovers though in terms of uh, like all these different training styles oh, you know are you able to pull across the experience that you've got in scent into this world as well
2: yeah well, I think I, I think it all um revolves around channeling the dog's m- motivation ultimately yeah. um so yeah there's the, certainly the the scent stuff is really interesting in the agility piece as well so some of the stuff I, I you know talked to my mom about um is what you do pre and post actually going on the the competition field and and running your your run you know there's Mm. long days how do you keep your dog you know enriched motivated not burnt out not too stressed with the environment and I think that's a really good um way of just being able to do things with your dog that keeps them ticking over mentally but without um you know tipping them over the edge because you want them to be you know going on to that agility field and and ultimately being as quick as they can around the field so it's it's having that tipping point and and balance between you know how do you manage the dogs throughout the day if you if you're there all day and um you know just running a few um runs so yeah I think there's definitely crossover and definitely um you know there's a place for scent work in in a lot of different environments
1: cool I like that I think and I definitely I think it's it's really cool seeing how it all tracks across and I think you know being able to like blend all of that sort of different those different styles and see how it applies in different areas I think mm. it's really cool um my I think my final question for you would be so if you had anybody looking to get into like the scent world in any or even just not even like the scent world necessarily professionally but just as like a maybe just an enthusiast that that thinks it looks really cool and thinks that their dog would enjoy it what would be your tip to get started at the very, very sort of beginning stages of it? What would you do? Give us a give us like a maybe a game to play.
2: Yeah, I think I, I think whether it's working dogs or, or pet dogs, you know, I, I can speak from having a, a beagle and, and doing things with a beagle is very similar to what I would do with, um, you, you know, some of our working detection dogs. And I think it all revolves around building that relationship with the dog and and having fun with them um i think the the the, probably the simplest and easiest thing to um kind of describe is is just finding whatever your dog likes whether it's food Mm -hmm. whether it's a tennis ball whether it's a, a tugger whether it's um a little kong or a big kong or a squeaky kong whatever it is they enjoy doing with you um is just start to experiment in you know how many different places can i throw that toy or food or whatever it is they want how many different places can i just throw that that toy into and let the dog run over pick it up bring it back to me and i think that really forms the first part of of being able to do any kind of of scent work whether it's just real basic hobby stuff or whether it's detection dog stuff is first and foremost can you can you play with the dog with its favorite thing whether it's toys or food and then can you throw the the article out and the dog actually run out and and look for whatever you've just thrown out in order to either eat it if it's a piece of food and come back to start again or if it's a a toy you know will the dog go out pick it up and then want to bring it back to you in order to play the game and start the game again so you know a real real basic level you you're ultimately playing fetch um mm-hmm into areas where the dog's got to use its nose before it picks it up and, and brings it back. And and you know the, the simplest way you can start that off is is just by playing those games. Um and then once you start that the world is really your oyster in terms of detection dog um scent work you know whether it's just doing stuff in your local park or actually going full hog and you know doing some really creative and and fun things with with scent dogs but but ultimately you've just got to think game game of fetch throw the toy throw the food not too far away from you to start with um in a place the dog's got to use its nose uh, and then they pick up the the food or the article and and come back ready to do it again
1: Fantastic. Thank you for that. And I think that brings us to the conclusion of our talk. Um, thank you so much for for sort of uh, indulging me in all of my questions. Because literally for me, this is just like I just get to geek out and ask you questions. There's nothing better than sitting down with somebody that, that you find really interesting and just being able to pick their brain. Um, because it's not very often you get an opportunity like that. So thank you very much for indulging that um and being with us today. Um it's and hopefully, Dave, I hope to see you in the future but at some point, hopefully i'm sure you will absolutely good i'm I'm glad to hear it because we definitely would love to see more of you and hear more of your experience um so thank you very much for joining us thank you game changers um go out get started and have fun with your dog